right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the My Best Life podcast. I've got James here with me. James, would you like to share with everyone who you are and what you do? Uh, certainly, yeah. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm James P. Sumner. I'm a self-published uh, author. I've been sold for about six years now. Um, I'm quite fortunate to be an international bestseller. Uh, I have I've brought a few different series to the genre. Um, so I've been around for, like I say, I've been around for a while. And in more recent times, I've started kind of talking a little bit more about mental health, raising mental health awareness, specifically kind of like the indie creative community, not just the writers, but I think more in general as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's so cool. So we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but James and I have been like friends on social media for a really long time. And this is the first time that we've really connected. But even though I like see what's going on with other writers on their Instagram accounts or wherever I'm following them, and I have a general idea of like what's going on, I had no idea that like, I had no idea what your story with writing was where you really started getting into it in 2013 correct yeah um it was weird actually it was actually on my honeymoon at the time um i was sat as you do you're round by the pool you've got your pills <laughs> yeah Kindle, living life and i read a book and it was the first book by an author called john Locke. um not the 16th century <laughs> yeah i'm not intelligent um <laughs> It was a, an, an action film I'd had my eye on for a while, and I finished it. And I was like, that was really good, but I'd do it different. I'd do this. And it was actually the first book that made me think, I could do that. And yeah. That's what kind of inspired me to kind of give it a go, and, and I did. And I never really looked back from there. So, yeah, it's been, yeah, approaching seven years now. That's really awesome. And was self-publishing what you always knew you wanted to do? Or did you explore other avenues before diving into that area? Or what was your story behind self-publishing? So when I first got started, I didn't know self-publishing was a thing. I, I think like most people who've never kind of been involved in the writing community, um, yeah. I just assumed you sat outside a coffee shop looking pretentious for six months and then someone handed you a big bag of cash and then that was the end of that. Um, and that obviously isn't the case. Yeah. Um, I, I submitted, I, by the time I finished like my first, the first version of my first novel, um, I spent a lot of time on Google, I contacted literary agents and, and things like that. Um, very famous kind of anecdote of J.K. Rowling, where she says, oh, I was rejected like 12 times before someone picked me up. Story of overcoming. It's like I was rejected twelve times before lunch on my first day. Like I had way over two hundred rejection letters from wow. different people, and I'm just like, all right, so it's not easy then. Mm -hmm. And then when I went back to the guy who inspired me to start writing by reading his book, I read, you know, like the kind of the bit at the end that tells you all about them, and he said that he was the first self-published author to sell a million copies on Kindle. Wow. And I was like, did that himself. So if he did that, then there must be a way that I can do it, surely, because that's the whole point. And that was when I kind of re-googled how to do it all yourself. And yeah, and I spent probably a good sort of nine to 12 months learning the industry. Well, yeah. kind of writing at the same time, but yeah, very much a self-taught, self-published author. Um, and yeah, just kind of went from there, really. 
Yeah, I think it's amazing how I have a similar story where I didn't submit to a lot of people. I don't even think I submitted to anybody really before I made my decision to self-publish. I think I just saw that, you know, like the whole process of getting an agent and all of that stuff. For me, it was like, hmm, I don't really want somebody to tell me whether my book is like, whether what I wrote and spent all this time working on is going to be good enough to sell or like, I just didn't want anybody to like limit me based on like, okay, they might be in the industry and they might know what they're talking about. But I'm like, this is a really good story. And I feel like I wrote it for a reason. I don't feel like it just kind of came out of thin air. Um, and I feel like I'm reasonably talented enough. So, you know, for me, it was like, this is like the only thing that feels right. And, you know, like I, it seems like a lot of authors who got started maybe within the past 10 years or so have, or maybe even before that, as far as self-publishing goes, have a similar story of like, they stumbled upon self-publishing almost as like, oh, this is a great choice. This sounds like something that, you know, this sounds like a better avenue than, you know, traditional publishing. And it's so cool that a lot of us are experiencing like this, like similar situations where we're basically learning the business side of publishing in addition to being the author. Um, I just think that's really awesome. And it seems like we have a similar experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's exactly right. I think you, you get to a point because I've always liked writing the book to get a tattoo. Like it takes a long time, but it's really, really painful. But <laughs> you want to do is do it again yeah it's like you can't understand it but it's quite it's quite an addictive thing yeah but you're going to get to i think everyone any writer's going to get to a point where they need to make a decision as to whether or not they're just doing it for them or whether they actually want to do it for a living whether they want to make money from doing it and how, whichever way you decide to go if you want to turn it into a business then you have to be prepared to learn the business side of it because if you get a traditional publishing contract and you get the, the, the kind of the acceptance from a, an agent and things like that, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about finding your audience or, right. you know, marketing your book or anything like that. So you write it, you hand it over and you collect your paycheck and that's it. But a lot of people don't like that. And I think indie publishing kind of probably started by everyone who got rejected from traditional publishing getting together and going on that one. And then they were like, screw it, let's do it ourselves. You know, and it's since become a very, you know, obviously very popular industry. It's an industry in its own right, but yeah. it's become more and more accessible, but also more and more complex, I suppose, at the same time, because as more and more people do it, the better you have to be at kind of weeding your way through and, and being recognized. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always kind of got a kick out of the business side of it as well. Maybe it's just the fact I'm a colossal nerd, but I like having my spreadsheets and keywords and, you know, getting in touch with other indie authors and you form kind of your own network of people and communities to help yeah. you throughout. And it is an, an immense thing to be a part of, definitely. Yeah, and a lot of published, like traditionally published authors are also seeing the benefit of it too. I really, I mean, this has been obviously predicted for a long time that, you know, authors are just probably going to end up going in this direction ultimately. Anyway, I have a friend who, um, she, she runs a very successful Instagram account. It's like this old Hollywood Instagram account with like hundreds of thousands of followers. And 
she got a a publishing deal with like a pretty big uh, publishing company and the whole process for her. I mean, I'm not going to say her name or anything like that just because I don't want to like out her in any way, but like the whole process for her has just been a total pain. And she's a very independent person, just like I am, where she wants to like run the show and, you know, she has ideas that she wants to share and she really wanted it to be like a partnership between her and the publishing company where she had a say, but that just was not accessible to her. So she and I have been talking a lot and we were like, yeah, yeah, it's like just self-publish next time. Like you have the following, like they're just using you for the following. You could just do it all yourself. Yeah, I think, I think that's the thing. And there's that kind of halfway house of what people call vanity presses, which are vanity publishing, which yeah. is basically indie publishers, but they want to do it all for you and have you pay them. Like that's not how it works. Either you pay me, or I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's they should be the only two options. And I think that I think the thing with the traditional industry is it is quite archaic. I mean, there's no denying the success of it. But you know, every, every reader can name fifty authors that are probably multi-millionaires, but they don't understand that that's not that's not even the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. That's the tip of the tip. You know, that for every one of them, there's thousand of them that don't earn a full-time wage for their books whereas i can tell you i can point out a thousand two thousand indie authors who make a comfortable living yeah they don't always have to make six figures a month or something crazy but they make a living from it um i went to the london book fair four years ago and i applied to or i essentially auditioned to win a sit down with a literary agent on the top literary agents in london and I won, and I got my one-on-one with him. Yeah. And this was at the time when my I just released my fifth novel, and the fifth novel actually won the I think it's defunct now the Kindle Scout uh, program. So it essentially won a publishing contract with Amazon. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it was on pre-order. Whilst I was talking to this guy, and he read it, and he said, he said genuinely. So it's one of the best thrillers I've read in a very long time, but I could never publish it. It would never work, and you would never be able to market it to the UK and the US wow. because it's so morally ambiguous. That was his mistake. He's like, the way that the book ends, it's like, you couldn't do that. It would never sell. And I was like, all right. And then that was it. Literally two weeks later, that same book was number one in the world. It literally, because Amazon published it, it hit number one on six Amazon stores. Granted, for like five hours and then, yeah. and then Stephen King came back and that was the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> five hours, I had the biggest selling book in the world. So I took a screenshot of it and I just tweeted, tweeted the literary agent. I was like, there you go. <laughs> that's so amazing. That's how the, I mean, it was brilliant, but whilst I get that they do know what they're talking about, the quality is subjective. Just because I don't think something's amazing, you might think it sucks and vice versa. So who is one person to determine whether or not your book will be successful? Put it out there yourself and let the readers be the judge. They'll soon tell you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's taking that control of, of, you know, your own product, of your own career. And like you say, you, people toil for months to tell a story that's inside. It's like, who is that guy to tell you that it's not good enough? Right. And I'm seeing this a lot, too, with musical artists as well, um, who are on, you know, big uh, 
uh, big record companies are also saying something similar. Like when you know your audience, or at least you are familiar with the type of people who are going to read your work, obviously, whether you're writing it specifically for them or not, you know, like the people who apparently know what they're talking about and whose word we always take to heart without even second guessing it, like that doesn't necessarily mean that they're as connected with your audience or you know they know your audience as well as you do um i was listening to this interview with this artist who said that she had um she was making like a mixtape and uh she was releasing it um on like island records or like one of the bigger record uh labels and she was trying to tell them like hey i think this is the song that is going to be a huge success and they were trying to tell her that this other song would be a success but she was like the only reason why i knew that what I had in mind was going to be huge was because all of my friends said they loved it and everyone who heard it, who were not the company or the the uh, recording company said that this was a song that they connected to. So I feel like if you know your audience, if you're an author at least, or you know any type of creative person, if you're familiar with your audience and what they like and you're actually tuned in and listening to what these people are saying about either your work or work that's similar, like who's like, how do you know how connected these publishing companies are to the people that you're trying to reach? I know that's like a slightly different example, but it's still very relevant. No, it's exactly the same because the difference between knowing what makes money and knowing what people like, that's the thing. And like a record label or publishing companies, like they know what might make them money yeah. and that's fine. But that isn't necessarily what my audience likes. I know what my audience likes and I don't really care about the money. I'm not, you know, it's nice that I can do it and, and make something from it, but I never started out doing it for money. I started doing it because I enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. And I can put it out there and people read it and enjoy it. In the same way, you know, people can, I know music artists can self-publish essentially on yeah. things like Spotify and platforms like that. It's like the ability there, so you do it yourself. You know, and, and you say that control because it's about what people like. And people, audiences are smart, readers are smart, people who listen to music are smart. They can tell when a product is there to be met for money purposes, for financial purposes, and they can tell when it's there with the passion for yeah. people who, for someone to enjoy. You know, um, I mean, I'm obviously in the genre that I write in, the child is pretty much the undisputed king of it. And, it, and for good reason, you know, I've, I've read old Japanese novels, and they are good. However, they are all exactly the same. Yeah. After like the first two or three, the same thing happens in all of them. And it's just rinse and repeat every year because they know it'll sell. And it's like, yeah, but the readers are like, come on, it's been 26 times now. Mm -hmm. Give the guy a nosebleed at least, you know what I mean? It's like, and they, they want something different. And that's where indie publishers come in because... I can write whatever I want. No one's going to tell me, oh, that's not suitable, or people won't like that. It's like, well, I can just do whatever I want and put it out there. What works, works. And I found kind of my little corner of the market, and I know that authors have done the same, that you wouldn't necessarily find in the mainstream, but it's nice to have that alternative because people can look at it and go, he's a reader, primarily. Yeah. He's not in it to make money, he's in it to just be entertained or to entertain. And there's a huge difference of people can tell that. Um, and it, you know, and it shows in the quality of, of the product as well. Right. 
Yeah, and I think people, particularly readers in, you know, what we're talking about, they're just craving not only new stories and something that's different, but I think they also just want to read stories by authors who are readers and who aren't so disconnected from them, who are, you know, following that format still. And like, there's like a certain type of like, desentinization I don't even know if that's a word but like you know like there's just like that slight separation and you kind of feel the barrier between you and the best-selling author who's like kind of writing the same content just in a different story yeah that's it you can see things like I've seen reviews from people that I know who write in the same genre and they're like oh it was good but it's just another Jack Reacher quote yeah or, or John Wick it's like what's the point of doing the same thing he's done because he's always going to do it better than you hence why he makes that much money and you don't right. you know do something different one of my readers i actually did um did a facebook kind of live thing with my readers at the beginning of the week um so that's all good based around the launch ones and said like you know what well, how would you feel if you became the next uh, the next lead child i said i don't want to be the next lead child i want to be the first james sumner yeah I don't want to be just like him because he's done that. So if I turn up and start doing what he does, they'll be go, yeah, he's already done that. So what else you got? I want nothing. But I, the way that I tell my stories, I think it's quite, it's not unique, but it's it's original. Not many people do yeah. it. And I think that's why it appeals. It's because it's something that's a little bit different, you know, and, and I care what the audience thinks. When it's all about the money, you don't. Yeah. You know, all you care about is what they buy. And it's like, well, I don't care if they buy it or not. I just want the people to do to like. That's not the same thing. Right, right. I mean, my current series is a superhero. Like, it's superhero-based. And I watched a lot of Marvel movies to, like, kind of nail down, you know, like... I don't like to follow a particular formula, but I was like... I feel like there are benefits to, like, watching all of these, like, very obviously successful or reading these very successful... Uh, um, interpretations of the superhero genre and at least understanding like why it works for them and you could in theory argue like there's nothing original about creating a world of superheroes but no one's ever made it like i made it and no one is writing about the characters that i'm i've created for this genre so yeah like it might be something that is within a very i don't want to call it outplayed genre but you know very very trendy genre at the moment you know but that doesn't necessarily mean that i have to be like 100 percent original and create all this original content it's like if i wrote it and it's coming from my perspective then that should be enough to make it original and unique all on its own yeah definitely you I mean you know you, you've got to put your own spin on things that's that's what any kind of creative person does i mean for me i mean i'm as i would say i'm a huge huge comic book fan and I remember reading an interview with um, Stan Lee years yeah. and years ago and he said Jack Kirby back in the day challenged Stan Lee to create a character that was so universally horrible that no one should ever like him he said just make him the worst human being you can think of but then make him popular <laughs> and he went right okay no problem and he did and he created Iron Man mm. Iron Man is a awful narcissistic alcoholic if you read the comics right he's not a great human being on paper but it's iron man 
everybody loves him. And I was like, I like that idea. I wanted to take fundamentally someone that you should, you know, not who is necessarily a bad person, but someone that you know you shouldn't like. And I wanted to make you want to have a drink with him. Yeah. That was my goal. And, and I did. Is that, is that what you, was that your intention with, um, your, is it called Adrian Hell series? I don't want to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, the Adrian Hell series is, it's primarily about an assassin. Now someone who kills people for money, which is fundamentally what he is, probably isn't the kind of person you want to send a Christmas card to. (laughs) My goal was to get one of my readers to email me and say, I really want to sit down and have a beer with that guy. And that gin, that actually happened to me said that. I, said, I just want to have a drink with him because he sounds like such an interesting guy. Yeah. And the, the way that I did that was writing in the first person. And the first person narrative is incredibly popular in the younger old genre. Mm-hmm. Because I think the kind of the psychology behind it is that a younger audience connects more if they can understand what it would be like for them to do what they're reading. Yeah. So it puts them in, the, in sort of like the mind of the character. But, I mean, it, it's getting a little bit more popular now, I think, but when, certainly when I first started, that, the thriller genre, the action book genre, was a little bit more traditional than most third person. I sense, I was like, I love the idea of the psychology, so I was like, why should that only be limited to books aimed at children or young adults? Right. So I, I did it for this, and I have a character who is an assassin who is sarcastic and violent, and, you know, he, he, he does what he does. But because you see the story unfold through his eyes, the, the, the narrative of the story is his own kind of in a monologue. Right. So you start to actually understand why he does what he does, why he thinks the way he thinks. And people are like, actually, I think like that in certain situations. It's like, oh, right. And it's, it allows you to relate to someone that you otherwise wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of said, when it comes to writing a story, it's, it's, primarily about the characters because if the reader doesn't connect with the characters or care about what the characters do then your story is relevant right because they don't care because they're not interested in that guy but if you can get them to invest in the character then they'll read anything that that character's done yeah you know and uh, that's kind of what i wanted to do so certainly with my character and that's i could say that's typically that approach to storytelling in that genre which typically has a, a slightly older audience it was never never really done on a large scale before. And the fact that I can't we did it seems to appeal because it was it was original. It was something that yeah. like, oh, this is new. I get to see what's happening through his eyes. And and like I say, I mean, it's such what it seems to do all right so far. So. Yeah, that almost seems like a, I can see how that could be considered a risky move, especially in that genre. But I think people are just craving more authenticity and stories in general and just like we don't I know for me it's like I know I'm very well aware that people are not just black and white or good or evil as far as their personality goes like we've all done things that we're not proud of and we've all you know have aspects of ourselves that we would consider dark and you know that varies from person to person so it is nice to have those characters like Iron Man for example it's like he's seemingly like on paper not a good person but because of all of that complexity like we feel a connection toward him so we can understand why he does what he does and I find that to be the most interesting 
aspect of, you know, storytelling is that the more real a character is and rather than trying to strive to make it this perfect character, like I always want to make perfect characters, but then I remind myself like, no, the more flaw they are the better because people are actually going to connect with it and it actually makes for real storytelling or interesting storytelling yeah absolutely i think it's important to kind of embrace the flaws of people because if you want if you want the reader to believe your character is real then you have to make them act and think like a real person does now i don't know about yourself but i know for a fact that i put a lot of my own personality into the character oh for sure because i'm Yeah, especially being a young adult author, there are times when I'm like, no, I really want this character to be like put together and make all the right decisions. But then it's just like 17 year olds don't make the right decisions all the time. Like even like I'm 30 years old and I don't make the right decisions all the time. You know, like there are still insecurities that cause me to like, I don't want to say make I, I don't i don't even know the right way to put it like i have insecurities that lead me to do things that you know are not the favorable choice or the most aligned choice um and yeah you're right like that's what people that's what people do that's what we want that's what we want to see it's more in storytelling yeah absolutely and you know like you say i'm i'm, I'm aware of the things like the place and i mean my, i i try and keep my stories as entertaining as possible you know what I mean? It's the, the whole point is escapism. Yeah. You know, I, I write about. I tell you, if the FBI ever looked at my search history, I'd be in so much trouble. It's just like how a sniper rifle works and stuff. But it's like I want to make it as realistic as possible, but at the same time, I'm aware that it is entertaining. Yeah. So I want it to be escapism. I want it to take you away from all the horrible stuff that's going on going on outside. Yeah. To the moment, but in general, because that's why we read. That's why we watch. Netflix and everything else, it's to get away from it all. So, you know, I want it to be entertaining in that respect. And I have readers that message me and they're like, oh, you got this wrong. That gun doesn't have this on it. It's like, yeah, but it's not non fiction. Yeah. I don't care. It's fun. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What I mean? So it, it, it's finding that balance, isn't it? It's finding the balance to keep it entertaining but keep it believable. 
um, at least at least harder to do than I think people realize. Yeah, you're not going to make everybody happy. I have in uh, my most recent book, I have a character who can, well, I mean, it's a superhero book, so anything goes, really. So I have, um, a, there is a character that's like a spirit in the in the book, and you know, I have another character, like, they all can, like, see the spirit, and one of them can actually interact with it on a communic on a communication-based level, but, and I work very hard to, like, ground my story so that those things make sense and they feel realistic, and I had a review, one of my first reviews on the book was, there's a spirit in the book and you can't see spirits. That's not realistic. Like someone just like totally point, like did not like how unrealistic this superhero story was. So it's like, you're never going to be able to make everybody happy. No, well, that's it. It's like, you know, I apologize that the person that flies and speaks to ghosts isn't completely realistic. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a David Attenborough documentary, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, you're not going to please everyone. That's not, the way that I approach it is you might as well please yourself. You know, it's like I write to entertain myself. I write the book that I can't find, that I want to read. And I, you know, they always say to write kind of the, the genre that you read in so that you know yeah. what to expect, what, what, what to put in it so that you kind of tick all the boxes for the reader. And as long as I read it and go, yeah. That's, that's about right, then chances are the people who also read stuff like me are going to think the same thing. Right. Because I know what they want, because it's what I want, because I'm one of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there was a period of time when I was trying to figure out what my genre was. Um, I mean, I've been writing, I'm sure you have a similar story too. I've been writing since I was a little kid um, in some way or another. And I knew that I wanted to write fiction novels, but I just had no idea what genre I wanted to go in. So I started off trying to write like very complex, complexly like written science fiction novels. Like I don't even know what I was trying to, I was like very much exploring in the beginning of like my adult writing career. Um, and it wasn't until I started reading young adult books and seeing how simplistic or straightforward i don't even want to call it simplistic because it's not but how straightforward the dialogue was how easy to follow and it's simple in the sense that the author just wants the reader to be able to visualize exactly what they're seeing and get straight to the point and it felt so attainable that i was finally like you know what i think this is the genre that i want to write in because as i'm reading it it's very similar to like what you said um I feel like I can write something like this. I feel like this is something I can do and I can put my own spin on stories within this genre. Yeah, definitely. That's that's what you gotta think about. It's like you say there's no there's no reason to make a story anything other than straightforward. Because I know, I think Stephen King said that is like don't use like four big words when you can use one small one. Yeah. You know, that that kind of notion. And it's like I mean I've read books in fact, I can't, generally can't remember the name of it. I was, it was many years ago. But I read a book, and he literally spent three pages describing the colour of a wall in the house. Right. And, like, you could just say it's a wall and it's blue. <laughs> I don't understand what you mean. You know, I, I don't need to know all that information. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I try and sort of minimise the, the description because all you need to say is they're in a house. And straight away, the wind's like, all oh, right, I know what a house looks like, so I can kind of imagine that. Yeah. And I want them to create the world that they're reading about themselves because that way every book's unique. Yeah. Because the way that you visualise something will be different from the way I do. So you give them just enough to sort of create it in their own head, and then you get on with telling them the story showing them the conversation right the, the good stuff you know, yeah it's like I, don't, I don't need to give you too much description it's the same with the same with characters it's like i i kind of tell you yeah he's wearing a brown leather jacket and combat boots but i don't often go into detail about what he looks like mm-hmm. i tell you how he acts and then i'll let you think about how he looks like right you know and i've had one reader told me that they featured jason statham in as my character and like that's fair enough somebody else said um what's it called for chris hemsworth yeah and i was like oh okay fair enough they're quite different styles of person so yeah the fact that two different people can picture two completely different actors playing the same character shows that you know i'm probably doing i'm probably on the right lines in terms of how well I'm the typecasting is correct <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I I take it from my own personal experience as a reader where the more specific, especially when it comes to characters, an author is, the more I just want to defy their specifics anyway. Like, if a character is yeah. described to a T, and I'm just like, no, but this is how I've been picturing them in my head, or I want to picture them like this, or especially for me, because I love romance and stories, and I like to picture the love interest as someone who I would find attractive. And if there's like even something slightly unattractive that is described about this character, I'm like, no, he looks like this in my head. And I'm just going to picture him like this the whole time. Like, I'll just completely ignore it. So I think it is important to like, think about like, how are you as a reader and honoring that in a way, obviously you're not going to be able to get it perfectly. And you know, there are going to be aspects of your writing that you do want to maintain or the specifics that you want to maintain. But it's important to just take into into consideration, like, how are you as a reader and just kind of going with that when you're telling your stories? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, that's where, like I was saying before, if you kind of make that decision to treat this as a business and you start thinking about sort of the commercial appeal and things like that, like I write, I'm clearly from the UK, but I write my books in US English. Mm-hmm. because 70% of my market is based in the US. So, you know, it's a wide appeal, but you cater for the majority. That's, right. that's just sort of good planning. But when it comes to sort of figuring out your audience, like I know from sort of statistics on Facebook adverts and things, I know basically 80% of my audience is over the age of 50. 60% of my audience is female. So... I'm basically writing for a 55-year-old woman. I'm like, right, okay, so what would appeal to a 55-year-old woman? I'm not going to get it 100% right because I'm not a 55-year-old woman, but I can imagine they wouldn't mind seeing, you know, a guy that they think is a little dishy, you know, a little bit of like old-school gentleman romance, that kind of thing. Yeah. They'd want to be someone who kind of not necessarily has, you know, black and white morals, but they can justify the way that they, they 
they act. They're like, oh, I'm doing this because this is the reason. So at least there's a good reason behind it. Both, they have a good heart. That's yeah. the kind of thing that, to me, those kind of people want to see. So that's what I do because that's the bulk of my audience. And if yeah. I can get them to like it, I've probably done my job. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be the odd 16-year-old that reads my book. There's going to be the odd 80-year-old that reads my book. And yeah. that's fine. They'll either like it or they won't. But most people who read my book are in the 50s and female. So if I write it for them, I'll, I'll you know, I should see some success. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Um, I think that is like so different from you, which I think is not funny. But for me, it's like, I'm, I mean, I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm in my 30s. I'm not gonna, I'm 30, but I'm in my 30s. And I write for technically like teens and pe- women, particularly in their early 20s. But it's like, you know what, I think I kind of have like a similar taste in all of the characteristics that go into like my my stories so for me it's like oh well what do I like but I also keep in mind like okay well what does my 18 year old's biggest reader like what does she want to see so it's really interesting how like you kind of have to like flip and think of an entirely different person from like who you are for the most part where I haven't had that experience yet so I'm kind of like taking into consideration like what you're saying and like really wanting to think about it more when it comes to my stories yeah well, that's it and i could say you that's the kind of thing that you you get into when you look at the more commercial appeal because it's like if i was right i mean i have written a young adult novel mm-hmm. um, it didn't do particularly well because all the people that buy my books are female and over 50 so when i write a book that says that teenagers they're like oh, you know good luck with that but yeah I'm not a teenager, so I don't care. So yeah. Like, I wrote it because I needed to get it out of my head. It was just irritating me. But I enjoyed that because I knew I didn't have an audience for it. So it wasn't about the commercial appeal. It was just literally to like a bucket list thing for me. Yeah. So the character was a 16 year old guy or 16 year old boy who discovers he has magical powers. So I kind of thought when I was 16, I wonder what I would have done if someone had said, by the way, you've now got magical powers. So I essentially wrote down everything I would have done. And it's like, I imagine that's probably what most 16-year-olds would do. Yeah. If they found, you know, male or female, if they found out they have magical powers, they would immediately want to find every bully that's ever beaten them up and, you know, take revenge. They would, they would want to be a hero despite not necessarily understanding the dangers that go along with it. That almost, that naivety. So mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's that's probably right. So that's what I did. And that was a little bit easier because it was retrospective. It's like, well, I used to be a 16-year-old boy, so I can kind of work it out. I didn't used to be a 50-year-old boy, and I'm probably not going to be one. So yeah. it's all guesswork. I'm just kind of figuring it out. But, you know, as the more you do it, like I've had books that sort of sold more than others. It's like, right, okay, what did I do different in the one that didn't sell as well? Oh, well, I gave the character this disability or something. It's like, right, well, they obviously don't like that. So I'll remove it again. Mm-hmm. And I have to think about that because it's more from a commercial standpoint. But if, to any read, any writer, if you're just starting out, if you're, you know, if you're not looking at it as a business, just tell your story. Yeah. You know, that's all you need to do. Just tell it for yourself. So that's all, 
you know, that's, that's kind of all it is. Get out of your head, get out of your heart. Yeah. It's your story. And that's just how it is. And if people like it, great. If they don't, fair enough, they don't. But yeah. It, it, it's two very different approaches. Yeah, for sure. I think when I was first dabbling in the young adult genre, my first book was technically a new adult novel because it involved someone in their early 20s, which I didn't even know was a thing. But, you know, like, as I started to write more and learn more about the genre, for me, at least, I realized like, oh, I need to start shifting more into that young adult space and writing for people who are younger because I wanted to write for people more my age or I wanted to write characters about people who are in their 20s but I was like that's not the genre that I'm trying to market to and that's not the audience that I'm trying to um, write stories for so like it is a learning process and you do learn as you go and you start to figure out the ins and outs of of the business aspect and marketing when you are self-published you don't always have somebody yeah. to like directly tell you what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, well, that's it. And you, you, you kind of you figure out as you go. I mean, I've, well, I've done, I think I've done 17 novels now. And it's like I'm I am far from an expert. I'm, I'm just a beginner you yeah. know, compared to a lot of people. But you do learn things as you go. So it's like I've, I've kind of found, found my stride with how to tell a story to my audience now. But the first sort of two or three, I had no idea. I was, yeah. I was literally just doing it for myself. It's like, well, what would I want to see? I want to see a story that's kind of like that I had without the yeah. controversy of whether or not it belongs on Christmas television, you know? And um, it was, that, that was just what I wanted to do. So that's what I did. And they did okay, but they didn't appeal kind of to a wider audience because yeah. there was so many, it was all over the place. So it was like, right, you need to kind of just, you know, get it into the right mold for that and then it fits right. and it's fine but you've got to figure it out for yourself you know you're the storyteller you creatively you kind of have to figure out your voice because that's what goes into the characters um and if if you try and write as somebody else it's not going to work if you try and write something that you're not familiar with that definitely isn't going to work i Without a shadow of a doubt, in terms of, certainly in terms of indie publishing, the romance genre is by far and away the most lucrative. Right? I couldn't write a romance novel if my wife depended on it. <laughs> I've never even seen Titanic. Right? I don't. That's not. That's not me. That's not my thing. Right. So I'm not going to try because if I tried to write a romance novel, I would annoy a lot of romance readers. <laughs> like, why is your car chase in the romance novel? It's like it's what I know. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, there's no point in me trying. But I know what goes into a good action thriller because I've read them and watched them for 20 years, 30 years. So right. you've, got to, you've got to find your voice and your place in within the genre that you like and you know. Like, like you say yourself, you know, with the with your sort of superhero thing, it's like, well, you know the superhero genre, but now you need to find your place in it. What's yeah. your take going to be? You know, where's your voice? Right. And, you know, you got started, it seems like you got started like three years before I did, but you have written a lot of books. I would love to know, like, what is your writing schedule like? Do you abide by a schedule? How has it changed? I would just love to know everything about it because I still feel like I'm figuring mine out. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I think everyone's different. I know people who are very strict, very regimented. 
the first two years, um, and for the last year and a bit, I, I was in full-time work. So yeah. I didn't really have a schedule. I just had a couple of hours spare a day, and that's just what I did with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I just tried to do as much as I could. When I started doing it full-time, and when it was a business, it became a lot more regimented because the first thing you have to understand when you do it as a business is that writing plays a very small part in your day. And right. That's a sad reality that you spend 25% of your day actually writing the book and 75% trying to get it spotted by people. You, you know, trying to make it not invisible on Amazon. That's that's the crux of what you do. But you have to you have to keep at it. You have to do it. Um, I, I try and aim to do kind of a book every three or four months. That was always the goal. Yeah. If I could do two or three a year, that would be great. How I go about it, I might not write for 11 months and then kill myself for one month and get three books out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't like sticking to something too kind of rigidly because I put pressure on myself and then I get angry if I don't. Yeah. It. And it's like, well, it's not so, it's not anybody else's deadline. I've not got a boss telling me to do something. This is me. It's like I can't possibly be that hard on myself. So if I wake up and I'm like, you know what, I'm in a bad mood, I had a bad night's sleep, I don't feel creative in the slightest, then I won't write. Yeah. Because if I try and write, all that's going to happen is it's going to suck and I'm going to have to redo it tomorrow anyway. So I might as well just wait till tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Stephen King says you should write every day. I disagree. Mm-hmm. That's probably why he makes more money than me. Because <laughs> but I, I don't think that. I don't think you can... I don't think you can force creativity. Right. It's, um, it's there, it's nice. It's, it's a natural kind of organic thing. My personal experience has been that when I've tried to force it, it's a lot, it's just not as good as when yeah. I sit down really kind of motivated and looking, looking forward to the process, that's when I produce my best work. So I kind of roll with it. I've learned, I've learned my own kind of routine and my own shortcomings, I suppose, in that respect. Um, yeah. But yeah, I try not to be too strict about things, but I don't let myself forget that it is something that I do now. You know, it's it's a part of my life, it's a part of my business, so it needs to be done. Right. But I try and keep it as kind of fluid and enjoyable as possible in that respect. Yeah, it's interesting because when I wrote my first book, I went into it not thinking I was going to publish it, or I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. I just wanted to write something. Um, and I wanted ultimately to see if I could. Oh, sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay, perfect. I I think I froze. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um, I just wanted to see if I could write something and finish it. And I was working part time at the time, so I had a lot of free time, and I utilized my time that free time well. Because it was like, well, I'm not doing anything else and I'm kind of becoming very committed to this writing project, so I might as well use the time that I have. And then when I wrote my next book after that, so that first book I was able to write in like four months from like start to completion and publishing and all that because I had that time that I utilized very well and I was on a great schedule that worked for me. But then my work increased and I went into working more full-time and I had to for that next novel like work around that schedule and that became something that I was very used to after that 
that, you know, like I wrote, I would write like a couple of hours a day. And as long as I did that more often than not, then I would have my story finished eventually and a a lot faster than being sporadic about it. But now, you know, much like yourself, my work is being an author, being this podcast. And, you know, I have coaching clients that I work with. So like I have all the time in the world. And for me, it's like, I still want to just write like two hours a day, but I also don't want to feel guilty about only writing a couple of hours a day. And, you know, like just still trying to strike that balance and find being forgiving. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into that transition and realizing like, oh, this is what I do. And now I don't know how to do it. No, exactly right. I mean, this is something I found because it was where I, I did an interview with um, the self-publishing formula, so Matt Dawson's I Has Your Authors guys. Um, obviously, you know, he's the Facebook, he's the guy that every indie author turns to at some point yeah. in their career. And I went on their podcast and I said, the worst thing I ever did was become a full-time writer. I said, he just didn't agree with me. And they were, like, that's kind of what we do here. I'm like, yeah, it's not for everyone, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I enjoy writing, I enjoy publishing, and I enjoy having an audience, but what I didn't enjoy was the 75% of my day that wasn't involved, that didn't involve writing. Yeah. Because it was a lot of pressure. And I said, you know, I said that, that I think the point of courses like that is to show you that you can, that you can do it, that you can make money doing it, and you can be successful at it. But what they need to sort of talk more about is how to define what success is for you. Yeah. Now, I don't want a Ferrari and a yacht and whatever else. That's not what success Success isn't material for me. It's, it's just like, can I make a living from doing something I enjoy getting up to do? Yeah. That's it. You know, simple. We've all had nine to five jobs that we absolutely despised. We hated the, the commute to work. We hated the job. We hated the boss. Everything about it. Well, I don't want to live my life like that. So if I can just do something for me that also pays my bills, puts a bit of food on the table, that's success. That to me, that's success. Yeah. So when I achieved that, I was like, "Yep, yeah, done. Now what?" And it's like, "Well, I've done it now, and it wasn't fun trying to maintain it. Mm-hmm. it. It required more work than I, I could handle in terms of the non-writing side of things. But the thing is." Like, like I alluded to earlier, a lot of traditional, traditionally published authors don't write full-time because yeah. they can't afford to. A traditionally published author will get paid once every six months, and that's after their advance has been paid off. So they can yeah. go 18 months without being paid at all. Whereas mm-hmm. in new authors, specifically with Amazon, they get paid every two months, and that's it. So, you know, it's more realistic to earn a living from it but what you need to understand is even the best indie authors writing is not the only thing that they do yeah you know it's okay to do other things that doesn't mean you're not a successful writer um Mark dawson is a prime example yes he sells an absolute ton of books but the royalties that he gets from book sales account for half of his income the other mm-hmm. half is he wants a marketing so that's something else. It's related to the industry. It's related to writing, but it's not writing. It's not the only thing he does. Yeah. And that, when I realised that, I was like, "There's like a ton of other stuff I can do 
that I would enjoy that is related to it, but it takes the pressure off my sick being the thing that pays my bills and defines who I am because yeah. I didn't want that. You know, I went back to full time work and I got a job in a digital marketing digital marketing agency because I did my own digital marketing for five years and mm-hmm. I was pretty good at it. You know, so I was I was able to go and do that. So that's something completely different. Right. Um and it's and it, it's understanding that even if you as a writer, if even if you made that conscious decision to treat it as a business, cyber writing's not the only thing that most writers do. You know, they don't just write novels, they could be a copywriter, do freelance work. You know, I've I've found it isn't that difficult to get freelance work if you can say would you like an international best-selling author to write a paragraph for your blog? Right. Like, yes, please. Let's have, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not necessarily as impressive as it sounds. I'm not Stephen King, King Cosby, Jeremy Holly, Holy Child, or whatever. But it helps, you know. And if you can position yourself like that, then there's a bunch of stuff you can do on the back of your writing that means it's not going to be the only thing that you have to focus on. Mm-hmm. Because it's not always the healthiest thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I found that I've spent so much of my life thinking like I wanted to get to a place where writing was the only thing I did. And once I did that, I'd be successful. But the more that writing becomes just the thing that I do, the more miserable I actually find myself being because, you know, you are spending a lot of time with yourself if, you know, you're the sole author of your work. And I found that like my mental health definitely took a turn. I found myself more depressed, more anxious and just overall unhappy, which is why I'm starting to become more open to like podcasting more and being okay with using my free time to spend with my family and not feel guilty about that. Or, you know, like spending more time with the people in my life because like the whole point of like wanting to do that or wanting to do this was so that I could do more of those things and it's so interesting how I'm experiencing like weird like negative feelings about it even though it is what I wanted so I would love to know like as far as like dealing with that if that is anything that you experience or you experience anything like it and just mental health in general like how do you manage sorry, Becky, you oh sorry oh sorry I missed that last part. okay i would just love to know like how do you manage like mental health and writing and staying in a good headspace with all of that okay so i managed it by not managing it right? <laughs> Right. I did it really badly, as I kind of, I manage it by having understood now what doesn't work. It's like, well, I've made so many mistakes, all that's left is to do it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. It's quite an it's quite a hard business, especially if it's all you do. Because the first thing you need to do is, or you, you need to realize if, if you're going to turn your hobby into a job, you need to always treat it like a job. Mm-hmm. Like... I used to work nine to five and then I come home and in my spare time I would write because it was my hobby and that's how I started my career. But when I started writing for a living, I lost the hobby. So I'd finish for the day and then I'd sit down and like, well, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do that because I enjoy it. But 
if you had a full-time job and you worked for somebody else, you wouldn't work an 18-hour day out of the goodness of your heart. So why are you doing that for yourself? It's a job, work nine to five and have the downtime. That's the point of working for yourself. You get that freedom, you get yeah. the, the, you know, the space and to do more of things that you enjoy. So do that. I did and I spent probably four straight years of working 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And it wasn't healthy. Yeah. It was, I, my, being that isolated, it was probably, I mean, I, I, I'm divorced now, but I, my marriage ended sort of two and a half years ago. And one of the contributing factors to that was I was that anxious about leaving my, my, my off, my home office. Yeah. I didn't know how to be around people. I didn't know how to go outside anymore. I hate the idea of it because I was comfortable in my own little bubble. And, you know, the, that kind of ended. And then I went back to being on my own. I'm like, well, I don't know how to be on my own because I just relied on other people being around me to give you the non-isolating parts of the life. And it's like, right. well, that's all there is. You know, I was, I was kind of lost and I, I really struggled with it. I still trying to dig myself out, dig myself out of that kind of isolation hole, um, and it weighed on. It really did affect my mental health. I was incredibly depressed, and I blamed writing because it was the fact I was trying to write that was causing this. So it's like, well, it's all, it's all I am. Mm-hmm. I defined who I was, and yet I hated it. So what's left? And I I didn't have the answer. I just got more and more depressed and more and more sad. Yeah. And it resulted in me having a heart attack because wow. it was, I went, I was in the hospital, the doctor was like, that's a, a psychological mental stress that has affected you physically. Wow. And it's like, oh, so he's like, you're fine. I mean, I'm, I'm 38, you know, I'm not old, I don't think. I feel it sometimes, but I'm not. Um, he said, you know, I'm, it was a warning shot across the bow, that's what, what that was. He said, I'm not going to tell you to exercise more or cut out red yeah. meat or stop drinking red wine, whatever. Or whatever it is you're doing in your life now, stop it because of that. And I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> fair point. You know, so I'm like, what do we do? So and at that moment, I kind of turned my entire life around and made the decisions. So like, however I was approaching things wasn't working. Yeah. Which is when... I realized, and I, I asked myself the tough questions, you know, when you get that, that kind of moment you have when you have to sit down and have a word with yourself about what you're doing. And it's like, when was the last, what, when was the last time I was happy? Writing, when it was a hobby. I was like, right, so stop doing it for a living then. Don't be silly. So I, I, I still built my entire new life around writing, but writing wasn't the only thing that I did. Yeah. And I can confidently say that I'm happier now than I've ever been in recent memory, you know. And I released a book last week that took me two years to, to write. Um, I started writing it in the middle of being very isolated and very unhappy. Yeah. And I had to ignore it for almost 18 months to get to the point where I am now, where I sat down and finished it in four days. And now it's out there, and the people that have read it have said, you can tell, especially the people who've read a lot of my books, they said, you can tell that the person that 
wrote the first two chapters and the person who wrote the last two chapters is a completely different human being. That's so interesting. And I'm like, yeah. that's awesome. So the book kind of grew with me. And this, this, I think this particular book, more than any other I've written and any other I probably will write, is the most personal because it symbolizes the end of that journey for me personally. Um, but I, I mean, I can't stress enough to anyone who's a writer that might be listening. Mental health is so important. You know, as a writer, it's the one thing that no one actually thinks about. Yeah. Like, how do you deal with being on your own by choice all this time? Now, ironically, I went back to full-time work to stop being isolated, and then the world shut down. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, it's, it almost felt like it was a personal dig. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, it, it, it's things like that that people don't realise is the thing to deal with. They're just like, oh, it's great, I guess, to sit down and write stories every day. It's like, yeah, but don't ignore everyone. Yeah. Don't ignore your friends and your family. You yeah. Know, get out of the house, exercise, hydrate, listen to music, do whatever puts a smile on your face. You've still got to do all that. And people don't realise that when you take those things away, the impact it has can be... Right. Yeah. I mean, I had this whole vision of like, I'm going to write like six hours a day and it's going to be like full time work and I'm going to make it all work. But then at the end of the end of the day, it's like, you know, if I could get like two hours in more if I'm lucky, but if I could get at least two hours of writing in and be able to tend to my health and my hobbies and, you know, like include all the things that I love into my day, then I feel pretty successful, even if it's not the vision of success that I have in mind. Um, you definitely already covered this, but I would love to know, like, is there anything else that you would say about just taking care of your mental health to creative people or just anyone, particularly during this time when we're all kind of being forced to, many of us are still forced to stay at home Yeah, I mean, it's, I've seen so many authors kind of almost make light of the situation that we're in, and it's like, I've been doing this for years, I've not even noticed the difference. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, every author that's been doing, you know, living this, this way for years has been doing it by choice. And when you take that choice away, it's you suddenly realise just how valuable the little things are. Yeah. Like, I miss, you know, just going out and having a coffee with a friend or something and it's like I, I hardly ever did it but now that I can it's like I realize the impact things like that have mm-hmm. and I think from for your own mental health you have to you have to look at what makes you happy and, and actually do it yeah not like oh yeah I love seeing my friends well go and see them then don't just stay at home because you know Netflix has released a new series or something it's like don't put stuff like that off because you don't know when you're not going to be able to do it. Right. And things like that are really important. Um, I I meditate a lot, and I find that that just kind of clears the mind a little bit. Um, and I'd be I'd be seriously screwed if I didn't do that. Not just for myself, but for the people around me as well. Like you, I always say, if you, you can't pour from an empty glass. Right. Like if you don't look after yourself, you can't be there for everybody else. You can't be there for the people that you care about. Um, I there's, there's a particular meditation. Um, I don't 
to say technique, but it's basically it's like an audio track. It's called binaural beats. And what mm-hmm. it does, it plays one frequency in one ear and a different frequency in the other ear, and then sort of like underlying some nice music or whatever. And the difference in those frequencies triggers particular brain waves. Yeah. So you can listen to one at night that triggers um, beta waves, which is the frequency your brain operates at in deep sleep. Essentially, tricks your brain into falling asleep. There's ones you can do to trigger alpha waves, which is like the height of focus and consciousness. And it just helps you when you find your mind wandering to the cat videos on Facebook. This just kind of reels you back in. It's yeah. like, there you go. And it's just things like that. And I, I'd be lost without doing stuff like that. And there's such a stigma in the world nowadays, especially more prominently now, about mental health. And it's not okay to talk about it. And it's not okay to have those issues. It's like, it is. Everyone's got them. And anyone who says they don't is a liar on any kind of level. You know, you don't have to have crippling anxiety and depression. You can just take an extra five minutes to get out of bed in the morning. It's like, that's a mental health issue because there's something stopping you getting on with your day. And albeit a very small one. And it's, the the key is not to ignore things like that. Don't ignore any kind of alarm bells or warning signs. Look after yourself. Because, you know, that's, I, I can attest that a psychological issue can affect you physically mm-hmm. if you let it get bad enough. You know, things like that are important. If you're if you're a creative person, especially because I mean, you you know, you were writing yourself. I imagine your head is a lot like mine. In like, it's like a web browser with seventy two tabs open all at once. And it's like sure. that's not going to stop. You just need a moment where you decide to just close the browser down for ten yeah. minutes. It's like, if you don't do that, you'll drive yourself insane, you know? It's okay to stop for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, like you say, you you know, you can get two or three hours writing in a day, but then you go off and do other things. That doesn't make you any less of a writer. It doesn't make you any less of a creative person. It just means you've got other things that require your focus and attention. Yeah. And that's okay, you know? And it's, it, it's learning to accept that it's all right to take the time for yourself. That's the important thing. Because I don't think I don't think people do. You know, I don't think people people look at just taking an hour out to watch an episode of T V is mm-hmm. wasting time. It's like, no, it's not. It's recharging your batteries. Yeah. You won't let your phone battery trickle down to zero. You plug it in when it's got ten percent left and you sit it sit there for an hour and then it's back to normal. You work in the exact same way as a human being. You know, just accept that and embrace it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about uh, particularly mental health. It's one of my favorite subjects. But um, just to start wrapping up, I would love to know more about your new book that is coming out. Um, please like share everything that you can about it. I would love to hear about it, too. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's the eighth novel my Adrian Health series, it's called Blowback. Um, it was actually released this past Tuesday. Oh, awesome. Um, so it's available, it's available everywhere. Um, it's, I, I try and sort of keep things as standalone as possible, even though yeah. it's part of an ongoing series. Um, so the latest one finds uh, the, the character Adrian Health 
Um, he's trying to enjoy semi-retirement in Tokyo. Um, he, as as is the story with most of uh, most chapters of his life, he finds himself sort of in a little bit of trouble. Um, he he's caught between two warring yakuza families, and the story is very much about how he would typically deal with that whilst getting a bit older. Mm-hmm. Because you know he's not getting any younger, but then someone from his past kind of comes in and turns his life upside down, and he's he gets it from all sides. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's um, as I say, this particular book is the culmination of a personal journey, and there's a lot of there's a lot more of me in this one, I think, than there has been in, in any of the others previously. That's awesome. And early feedback has been incredibly positive. I think because of that whole personal aspect as well. Um, so yeah, it's uh, like I say, it was on sale on Tuesday. Um, if you go, I, I sell my books directly as well as on Amazon and Kobo and everywhere else. So if you check out jamespsumner.com, um, you can find all the store links um, to, awesome. to the new book as well as the ability to buy it direct. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a fast paced, action packed adventure. Uh, it's a few hours, a few hours of escapism which is which is what i do so yeah it'd be nice if you could check it out that's awesome and then i guess i'm curious to know too it is the eighth in the series does that mean that the series is coming to a conclusion or do you keep that open if you decide that you want to keep writing there's plenty more to come um i i write in i I do three different series of kind of thrillers oh cool and the more of them i do i i kind kind of create my own marvel universe that's so awesome. I called it Fullerverse because I started creating new series and found it very difficult to go back to the beginning and build up the story world again. And I, in fact, I was actually watching um, Infinity War yeah. in, the, in the movie theater, and the idea came to me: it's like, why am I struggling to create a new world for these characters? I've already got one because they've been helping around for a while. Yeah. So I just used his story world, and now I have interlinking. I do something really similar. Yeah, I base the majority of my stories in the same fictional place for the most part. Um, And like all the same like restaurants and stuff like that and bands like musical artists and stuff like they're all the same because it's like, why not? I originally did it because I thought it would just be funny or I'm like just kind of like a little Easter egg for people who have read my other stories but now it's just like oh that's like the easy thing to do and, and not in a lazy way but just in a creative way yeah it makes I, it more I fun think it makes sense um and i mean i quite like obviously you look at a marvel movie nobody gets up when the film finishes because you know something's gonna happen during the end credits yeah i try and do the same sort of thing so i do like one or two like little epilogues but i hide them in amongst the back matter of the book so you get to like the acknowledgements and also by this author and then suddenly there's a half a page of story that's so cool that's awesome it just keeps me entertained and again it's something a little bit different as well that people seem to click with but because of that it means each series kind of has a little bit of a longer life than that otherwise would have done because yeah it's able i'm able to take a back seat on a character for two years and it still not feel like it's gone anywhere because of the, the way that the, the whole kind of interweaving is done. So, yeah, it's the eighth in the series. There's plenty more to come from. That's Asian awesome. Health. Plenty more to come from my other series as well. So, watch your space. 
cool. Yeah, is there anywhere that um, our viewers can follow you on social media or anywhere online? Yeah, um, I'm uh, as as you know, I'm, I'm available on Instagram. Uh, that's how kind of been you have been in touch. Yeah. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. Uh, literally just facebook.com forward slash James B. Summer. Um, I'm, I'm probably more active on Facebook because it, it allows me to be a little bit more interactive. Yeah. I like doing Facebook live videos. I get a kick out of interacting with the audience. It's pretty so, fun, yeah. Yeah, you can, uh, they can follow me on there. Um, I am on Twitter. I don't do it much. Is it still called tweeting? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. I <laughs> Um, I, I don't tweet much, but I am around. But yeah, Facebook and Instagram, you can, you can just search for James B. Summer and you'll, cool. find, you'll find me. Awesome. Yeah, it was a pleasure to get to chat and really get to know you a lot more. Um, fun conversations all around. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. For yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll have Thank to have you, you on time. again. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the My Best Life podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Beck Medina. I am a mindset and manifestation coach. So if you would like one-on-one coaching for your specific issues, you can sign up for a virtual session or my monthly coaching program at the link in the show notes. And if you love the show, please make sure to rate and subscribe. Your rating allows other people to know that this show is the bomb. And I appreciate any support that you provide the podcast. I love you guys. Until next time, I'll see you soon.